Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. All right, church family, go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, Welcome, I'm glad you're all here today. If you're new, (laughs) hey, shush, it's my turn to talk, I'm just kidding. Hey, it's good to be with you all today. Um, My name's Alex, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's good to be with you uh, this weekend. So over the last couple of weeks, my family and I, we were away, we went uh, back to Georgia and visited family and friends. We were in Georgia and Alabama and God, we had a great time. It was amazing. Got down on the beach, uh, rode the water slide 10 hours a day. I don't know. It was great. And went parasailing with Tove, which was really amazing to go 400 feet up in the air and just float. And we saw dolphins go by. We're like, this is it's pretty magical. It was great. Um, and I had this incredible opportunity to, to go and worship with and preach at the first church I planted called Four Corners. Uh, I used to work in a bar in Georgia. I was a bar back. And um, uh, I started leading friends to faith in this bar. And before long, it snowballed into a church plant. And then uh, we went from one to two to three to four services in this bar. And uh, then we moved out of the bar and got another building. And then and that's when I felt like my leg of the race was done at that, at that church. And then to go back, whatever it was, 10 years later, and get to visit and see all these faces and stories and the, the pastors and the team, and they just bought 50 acres with this building, and they're, they're just doing wonderful. And it was just so incredible to go and go, wow, I got to play a little part in this, but to see God's faithfulness for 10 years in the lives of so many people I knew and go, man, I've had nothing to do with your sanctification for the last 10 years. And it looks like God is doing fabulous work. And so it was just so encouraging just to be there and then get back home here in Seattle, get back into school. And I'm excited about the fall. Uh, I know this is the longest 2020 uh, that's ever happened. It just feels like it's just... <laughs> but I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about our church family. I'm excited about our staff. In fact, um, there's a couple things I wanted to say that I was grateful for over my time away that really hit me. Uh, the first was I was thankful for our church family who takes care of my family generously, financially, and uh, supports us in this way and understands that I need some time off here and there too to recharge my batteries like everybody. Um, And so I'm just thankful to get to do what I do as a vocation. Uh, The next thing I was really grateful for was our staff to be able to walk away and leave our church in the hands of faithful men and women and our elders and go, okay, lead. And I don't have to sit on my phone and check email and text and worry constantly. I didn't, not for one minute. I loved you, but I didn't worry about you for two weeks, and it was fantastic. Uh, and so it's just really great to be able to, to do that. And so I, even our staff, we all went on vacation together a couple weeks ago, and halfway through, I went, wait, we all work together. 
which is a good thing if you like each other this much that you spend vacation time together. I don't know if you've been around wacky church culture before, but that's pretty good. Like, wow, this is, this is really healthy. Not only do we work together, but we like each other and vacation together too. And so I'm just grateful for where our church is right now, what God is doing in our lives together. And so, yeah, with that being said, I'm gonna walk through Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 24. If you're new here, our vision of our church is a very simple vision. Redemption Church is striving to respond to God and the gospel through faithful presence to God, self, and others. We're about being present, about showing up, about responding to what God has done. And if you're new and you're going, well, how do you guys pick what you're going to talk about in church with the Bible? Uh, We do something called expository preaching most of the time, where we walk through, we pick a book of the Bible, we pray it through, and then we walk through just a whole book. And we look in the historical context, and we seek to bring what was written to the early church into our own present-day context. So that's what we do as a church family. Okay, let's do it. Verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies Washed with pure water. Okay, we'll stop there. These words, these conjunctions, the therefore and since, if you mark your Bibles, mark those words. Therefore, in light of all that's been said up till now in the middle of chapter 10, therefore, since, the writer's now going to start calling the church to apply the gospel. He's about to now draw out a few of the implications of the gospel message. Therefore and since. So in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, it opens with the words saying, long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, through whom he created the world. And then it goes on to say that Jesus has made purification for our sins and he's sat down at the right hand of God. From that moment, as the writer opens throughout the whole book, he's been building this case that Jesus is superior to everything, to creation, to angels, to prophets, to Moses, to Abraham, to Isaiah, to the law. And so Jesus is utterly superior to everything, not just things written about in the Bible. Jesus is superior to everything in creation. Since Jesus is superior, therefore, and he teases out, what has Jesus done? Well, Jesus created the world. Jesus has come to the earth and lived a sinless life. Jesus went to Calvary on our behalf. Jesus died in our place for our sins. Jesus was buried. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God. Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit into the church. Since Jesus has done all of these things, therefore, let's respond. 
since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So what are the holy places that we're, we're called to go? Uh, it's far more than taking a trip to the Holy Land. Making a pilgrimage is great. But the holy places that Christians are called to go is not merely go find a piece of turf in Palestine. Uh, the holy places is not an academy. It's not a university. It's not a professor. It's not a book. It's not a podcast. It's not a worship song. It's not a movement. Um, the holy places that are opened to Christians is the very presence of God himself. And this is not something that we wait on in the afterlife. Therefore, do it now. That's the call of the gospel. That's the invitation. Since we have confidence to do this, why do we have confidence to begin to, to, to move toward God in intimacy, vulnerability, prayer, to actually approach God himself. Why are we doing this? How do we have confidence to do this? Because our faith is based on Jesus himself and what Jesus has done. Not our good works, but his. Since we have confidence to do this, let's enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way which he opened for us, through the curtain. This is a reference back. The curtain uh, is a reference back to the, to the temple, to the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. The most holy place had the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded. It was the sacred space. The mercy seat was in this space. And in this holy place, the very presence of God dwelt on the earth. The writer of Hebrews is pulling on that idea and says, now we have access to the most holy place. We're able to go behind the curtain into the presence of God because Jesus gave his life. Because Jesus is sinless. And Jesus opened the curtain so that we could be in the very presence of God. Can you believe that? That's the invitation. If you're not a Christian today, that's the invitation of Jesus to you is to go, oh, you belong in the very presence of God <laughs> because he's made you righteous. I don't know what kind of week you had last week or maybe the drive into church this morning, but I can tell you, you belong in the presence of God based on what Jesus has done. All right, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. So the writer of Hebrews, he starts to give these three instructions. And he says, since, since Jesus has done this, let us. And I love the pronoun us because the fact is, is the apostles never saw themselves as above the church. Let us, including Paul and John and Peter and Isaiah and all of the heroes that we see in the Bible, they never sit around and just go, well, my job as a Christian leader is to facilitate community for everybody else while I isolate myself on an island. 
My job as a Christian leader is to preach the good news of the gospel to everybody else, but I have to sit in shame all by myself. Uh, Let us. If God's calling you to lead, he might be calling you to plant a church. He might be calling you to become a pastor. He might be calling you to, I don't know what God's calling you to do, but God doesn't give an assignment to Christian leaders to merely facilitate church life apart from the church. Let us. And what's the invitation? With a true heart, meaning not playing games, but genuinely, sincerely, not paying lip service to God, but with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the writer has in mind here your baptism. That you've been cleansed. Baptism is not an empty ritual. Baptism is testifying, an outward demonstration of this inward reality that you have faith in Jesus. And baptism says that I identify with Jesus' death and his burial and in his resurrection. Baptism is a picture of cleansing. Peter says, repent, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Baptism is saying I have a relationship with the triune God. This is what the writer's saying. Remember this. Martin Luther used to say, as often as you wash your face, remember your baptism. (laughs) What if we applied that to now? As often as you're washing your hands, (laughs) remember you are cleansed. So he says, let us draw near with a true heart. What does it look like to draw near to God? Drawing near is a discipline. To draw near to God looks like sitting in silence. Eugene Peterson used to say, prayer is always the second word. (laughs) That's because God is the one that initiates the conversation. To draw near to God looks like opening the scriptures consistently and immersing ourselves here. Drawing near to God looks like repentance. Drawing near to God looks like getting honest. Drawing near to God looks like singing and celebrating. Drawing near to God looks like confession of sin. Drawing near to God is Jesus' way of saying, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Jesus' invitation for us to abide is, it's a comfortable thing. The, the way you find yourself on a Saturday afternoon in your sweatpants watching Netflix kind of comfortability, Jesus wants you comfortable in the very presence of God. Abide. So, draw near is the invitation. And it's one thing to say that in church on a Sunday. Um, But in pastoral care, when I sit with our church throughout the week, it's not uncommon to hear people say, well, that's one thing for you, pastor, to draw near to God. But based on the way I've lived lately and based on some decisions I've made recently, would you? Would you more or less be willing to talk to God for me? You see, this is what shame does. 
is shame isolates us in a way that we want somebody else to, we want to phone it in. And so we're content to more or less warm ourselves by the fire of God's love, but we don't have the faith or the audacity or the nerve to actually step into the fire and be consumed and transformed. So when we sit in those moments, and a brother or a sister says, you just have no idea what I've done lately. <laughs> I don't think I can draw near to God. In those moments, we'll sit there for just a minute, and I'll nod and go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'll take a minute of silence to honor the grief and the repentance and the story itself, whatever the sin is. And then we'll gently turn the con conversation and say something like, brother, we're not gathered together in the name of your sin. Sure, sure, we're talking about the sin, but we've actually gathered in the name of Jesus. We've gathered on the grounds of his person and his work. And because of what Jesus has done, you can draw near to God. Because of Jesus and what he accomplished on Good Friday in Easter and is resurrected and has seated at the right hand of God, there's never a moment that you don't belong in the presence of God. <laughs> That's great news for those of us who consistently trip, fall, and skin our knees and blow it again and again and again. I mean, how many of us, honestly, are still carrying the same silly sins around with us that we've carried all these years going, man, I just wish I could get free from blank. Did you know that God is not waiting on you to clean your act up before you belong in his presence? But rather, God has cleansed you. And so the faith that you have to exercise is in the reality of what he's done. The greatest definition of faith came from a guy named Paul Tillich. Don't read everything Tillich has to say, but on faith, whoa. Faith, he says, essentially, is the courage to accept that you are accepted. So draw near and do it boldly because your father likes you and loves you. <laughs> So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. See any wavering in Seattle these days? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope, which is not saying, make sure you memorize the Apostles' Creed and the Romans' Road. Though the Apostles' Creed and the Romans' Road is great and sound doctrine is essential to the Christian life. Don't hear me saying it's not. But holding fast to the confession is not merely articulating the right words. Holding fast to the confession of our hope is living into the actual relationship that you have with God. Let us relate to God with a sincere heart, with a cleansed conscience. Hold fast. You see, you can know things about someone, your spouse or a friend, and yet your heart can be 100 miles away from them. This is what the writer's trying to communicate here. Hold fast. Don't just know right doctrine. Hold fast relationally. Take your faith 
seriously, without wavering. Well, how do I do that in post, what do they call it, ex-evangelical, ex-evangelicalism, in a day and age at ground zero of deconstruction? How do I hold fast my faith? You hold fast to the faith because it's not rooted on yourself. You're placing your faith in the one who is faithful. And you do so in community with God and with one another. Let us hold fast. He who promised is faithful. The last verse for this morning is this. And let us consider to really think about Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. So the instruction of the church is not merely just come and listen to your pastor give talking data. Let us consider how to stir up love and good works, not instigate social media battles, not start gossip and drama and slander, but the word consider how to stir up is literally to instigate. To instigate a few things in the church would be great, namely love and good works. To actually put real time into this, to not assume what everybody needs, but to actually put time into going, what do you need in your faith right now, just tangibly, practically as a follower of Jesus? This is how we should be speaking to one another, going, hey man, how are you? Is there anything you need? What's your fa- what, 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 where are you at in life right now? Can I help meet that need to consider love and good works? And yes, there's the Bible again instructing us in doing good works. If anyone says that the Christian faith isn't about good works, they're completely wrong. There's the verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you were created for good works. Jesus himself says, do good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So if we get this goofy theology that says, well, Jesus did all the good works, and now I just sit on the sideline and wait on the rapture, couldn't be further from what the gospel's call to us actually is, to love and to good works. So as an example, I want to invite my friend Rochelle Cummings up um, about love and good works. I texted her this week. We've been in conversation over the last, I guess, couple of weeks in light of our uh, most recent Afghani crisis and refugees coming to the United States and to Seattle as a sanctuary city. So, Rochelle, uh, I thought it would be really helpful to hear from her in a way that God is actually uh, working through her and through us as a community in order to bless those who are in tremendous need. So thanks, Rochelle. Oh, thanks. Can, can you guys hear me? Okay. Well, first, I think it's really um, cool that when I saw the headlines about Afghanistan, I thought, oh, I can just text my church because I know they already work with refugees and um, we already have a relationship in the community. So, um, but over, I'll just, I'll just give you the little story. Over the last year and a half, I've felt really helpless, like, looking at the headlines and seeing everything over and over and every week just like my heart breaking for something else and just feeling like, man, what am I supposed to do? And then kind of feeling like helpless of, well, I can't really do anything in this situation or this situation. And um, my husband, Joel, and I like can just, we're talking over the last year and it's like, it's really easy to talk about everything that's wrong with the world. 
Um, and it's really easy to just like be very discouraged, but you just kind of have to choose something and then do it. So um, what was really cool was texting Alex and Lisa, and then a couple days later, just them being like, here's what we're going to do. And um, then I was like, well, OK. I, I, and this thing, like, I grew up in a military family. I know what it's like to move. Um, my dad had interpreters. And so like, when I hear about these people, like, those are the people who helped my dad. Those are the people who have helped my friends who I grew up with. Like, we, we have to do something. So the first thing I learned is like, God's going to put something different on each of our hearts. And like, so this is like, this is what he put on my heart. So it's like, okay, Rochelle, you're going to do this. Someone else is going to do something else. And then the second thing was like, man, why don't you invite other people to it? And um, I think I have a, a fear on social media of being like, well, look at me, I'm doing this thing, guys. Um, instead of just being like, hey, guys, here's this thing. Does anyone want to help? And um, what was crazy is in a week and a half, um, we raised $7,000 for these kits. And I think half of it came from people who aren't Christians. And the first donation I got was from an old coworker who, um, she's not a Christian, and uh, she owns a restaurant. She's been through the pandemic. She's had to close, reopen, close, reopen. And within an hour of posting that, she sent me $1,000. And it was just like, whoa, like, this is crazy. Like, God is, like, just kind of like, hey, Rochelle, don't be afraid. It's okay. Like, people, like, people love you. And, like, I think I always have a fear of being like, well, I'm a Christian, guys. And it was just really neat to see this reaction um, from my community. And, like, Joel and I right now are living with roommates who aren't Christians, and, and like, they went with me to Ikea, and, like, the, our friend Dion, he raised, like, $1,500, and they just really cared about this. So it's, like, cool to see how God can put something on your heart and then um, use it not only, like, for each other, but also for, like, our community and, like, people care and wanted to help. So that's, like, I think my big takeaways are, like, we can't do everything. So like this whole last year, it's been like, well, I should do this, I should do this, I should do this. And it's like, well, here's the one thing that I could actually do. So I was able to like actually have the, the energy or the time or the space or the focus to do that. Um, and then like our church is awesome and they have the relationships so we can do those things. The O'Malley showed up and like helped me take the kids down. Like it's like, we all have to do this together. So that's kind of kind of my takeaway. Thank you, Rochelle. That's so fun, huh, guys? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And that's an example of stirring up love and good works. Let's consider, let's think about how can we bless our city, really, as the salt and the light of the world, as people who know that Jesus loves us, We've been given the Holy Spirit. We're empowered to love our city, to serve our neighbors, to serve, my goodness, the refugees of all the people in the world that Jesus loves. Oh, my goodness. It's got to be our Afghani neighbors that are coming to our doorsteps, and we can welcome them in food, clothing, shelter, to extend true biblical hospitality. Oh, what an invitation. This is your chance to play, <laughs> that we don't have to wait till some other day to love people. We get to do it right now. So as we think about love and good works, remember, we root everything in a response. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Jesus is about love. Jesus is about good works. And it is because of his love and his perfect work in his death and burial and resurrection, we're the children of God. And so now we are sent out with this good news to love and bless Seattle.